0: OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.
1: Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On.
0: Georgia is better than Herschel Walker. But they don't know I was built for this. Yeah, I was built for this
2: one. Apparently, he also claimed that he used to let me beat him at basketball. But then he admitted that we've never actually met. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective
1: from D.C.'s top name.
2: These wage increases are larger than the increase in inflation. The issue of sick time uh, needs to be caught. The companies need to sit down with the unions now.
3: Bloomberg Sound On with
1: Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It's the last weekend of campaigning in Georgia, and the Senate race is still too close to call. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics, as we head for Tuesday's runoff with fresh polling out. And after another visit by former President Barack Obama, we're joined by the most important political journalist in Georgia, Greg Bluestein of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution for the Lay of the Land. President Biden signs legislation to prevent the rail strike. We'll consider the Political Balancing Act with Lincoln Mitchell, political analyst from Columbia University. And as Biden rewrites the calendar for the presidential campaign cycle, New Hampshire says, don't even try it. We'll have analysis from our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano here for the hour on this Friday edition. New polling ahead this weekend of campaigning in Georgia. This last weekend, I should say the Senate runoff again is on Tuesday and a new CNN SSRS poll out today shows Raphael Warnock leading by four percentage points among likely voters. Came out 52 to 48 percent. It's about the same as the real clear average of polls we've been looking at. Although Warnock leads, as we've heard in other polls like AARP, by a much wider margin among independents, 61 percent to 36 there. The polls got a margin of error about three points. So this is still tight. Senator Warnock was on the stump before about 2000 people last night in Atlanta. Here he is.
0: I believe in my soul that Georgia knows that Georgia is better than Herschel Walker. is better than herschel walker
1: (laughs) and with another presidential visit that's why we had two thousand people there not joe biden but barack obama back in georgia went after some of herschel walker's more interesting remarks since the last time i was here mr
2: walker has been talking about issues that are of great importance to the people of georgia like whether it's better to be a
0: vampire or a werewolf This is a debate that I must confess I once had myself (laughs) when I was seven.
1: (laughs) Remember Fright Night? Anyone? Uh, the, The vampires and werewolves? This is Herschel Walker on November 16th.
0: The other night I was watching this movie, I was watching this movie called Fright Night, Freak Night, or some type of night, but it was about <laughs> vampires. I don't know if you know vampires are cool people, are they not? But I'm going to tell you something that I found out. A werewolf can kill a vampire. Did you know that? Yeah. I never knew that, so I didn't want to be a vampire anymore. I wanted to be a werewolf. But then anyway.
1: Of Chris, you heard that if you listen to this broadcast. We're lucky to have The View from Atlanta today. As we're joined by Greg Bluestein, who's been in the center of this for months. First, the general, now the runoff. He's the senior political reporter at the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Greg, thank you for being here. How much of a difference does Barack Obama make for Raphael Warnock?
2: I think he makes a big difference because right now, what does Raphael Warnock want to do? He wants to energize the base in an election that, you know, still a lot of Georgians have no idea is going on. He wow. was energized the face of Democratic supporters, especially black voters who are the backbone of the Democratic Party here in Georgia.
1: Mm-hmm. And by contrast, knowing Raphael Warnock, has he had a lot more money than Herschel Walker. He's going into this uh, this final stretch with three times as much cash. How much of a difference has Brian Kemp made, the governor, for the Walker campaign?
2: So on the flip side, I just talked about energizing the base. But look, both candidates also want to win those split ticket voters, 200,000 Uh, more voters in November voted for Governor Brian Kemp than for Herschel Walker. That was the difference in this runoff. And so right now, Herschel Walker is trying to use Governor Kemp to win back those voters to his camp, or at least have them stay home and not vote for Senator Warnock. Meanwhile, Senator Warnock is doing his best to keep those guys in his camp, uh, including having even Dave Matthews banned Um, who appeals to white, (laughs) suburban, middle-aged voters. Uh, He had them come. He had Dave Matthews come just a few days ago. There was a joke going around that basically every babysitter in the suburb was was occupied (laughs) that night as tons of voters came to see Dave Matthews of Senator Warnock.
1: So bringing out the firepower, the celebrity firepower here. How about, you know, Brian Kemp was a little late to the game. It was weird during the general because he had the Trump thing. And, you know, I I don't know if Herschel Walker could have won that. With Brian Kemp's help then, is it too late now?
2: Yeah, it's a good question, because there were strained ties between those two men throughout the general election. I asked Herschel Walker in the May primary if he voted for Brian Kemp or his challenger, David Perdue. Herschel wouldn't say either way. Um, He didn't want to antagonize Trump, who, of course, opposed Brian Kemp. Um, but the two had nothing to do with each other. It wasn't just Kemp who didn't want to do anything with Walker. Walker didn't want much to do with Kemp either. Uh, now Kemp could be, a, you know, could be this pivotal difference maker, and he's helping. But he's also, you know, he hasn't put his entire being into this race. He's not on the campaign trail with okay. Herschel Walker right now. Instead, he's helping in other ways. He's cutting ads. Yep. He's holding fundraisers, and he went to one rally.
1: Yeah, the big rally last weekend. A lot's been made of the early vote here. Uh, I understand now. It's almost one and a half million people casting ballots early. Greg, is that advantage Warnock because of the sort of traditional relationship that Democrats have with early voting, or is it different now in Georgia?
2: Yeah, it's impossible to tell for sure. But here's what we know: we know that most of those early votes are taking place in counties that Democrats won. Yep. And we also know that the demographics definitely favor Democrats. Uh, with with black voters uh, significantly disproportionate, they they have. Uh, More black voters are voting early than it represents the the state's population at large. That's a good sign for Democrats. We also know Republicans tend to dominate on Election Day. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Herschel Walker beat Raphael Warlock on Election Day by about 15 points. So uh, they still have that in their back pocket. But right now, Democrats might might be building a cushion that's that's, that's insurmountable for Herschel Walker. We'll see.
1: Fascinating. Uh, you, I mentioned this. Uh, we were listening to, to some of the big rally last night with Barack Obama, and I just wonder what it's like to be a reporter there on the ground because, from a national perspective, you know, when you get onto the, the news wires, the news feeds, and the news programs, even Twitter. You see much more from the Warnock campaign. There's much more outreach to maybe traditional sources. I don't know if you can even call Twitter that. Herschel Walker has been speaking largely from what it seems to conservative media outlets, and they don't have the whole media apparatus to come to the event and plug in and get great sounding audio and good video. You see a lot of cell phone video and so forth. Greg, is that the way it is to cover it locally?
2: Yes, there's a good reason for the difference, and that's because Herschel Walker has been ignoring the reporters who cover his campaign there you go. for most of this campaign. He has not talked to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and we're no, no. We're no anomaly here. He hasn't talked to um, basically most of the media um, covering him. Instead, he favors mostly friendly outlets, Fox News, um, where he's asked uh, you know mostly positive questions. And look, that's had, a, that's had a profound impact on the way we've covered him because, frankly, we can't even get him to comment on even you know issues that might help him. You know, asking about um, stances that Joe Biden's taken that, that, that should be red meat for him. Uh, right. Nor can we get him to, to comment on, uh, on measures like j- just the other day with Donald Trump's um, meeting with a white supremacist racist. Yeah. Every major Republican in Georgia condemned that meeting except for Herschel Walker. You can't get, get an interview.
1: And it's yeah. not even a written statement, never mind a sit down interview. They're just not accessible. Yeah. Is there a press shop like you would have in a normal campaign?
2: There is, but right now, at this stage of the campaign, uh, the, the queries are going uh, unanswered. Now, you yeah. know, of course, we have back channels with people in the campaign, so we know what's mm-hmm. going on, and we know when, when they're just not going to comment. I'm getting word like saying, hey, we're, we're not going to say anything on this. You can ask, but we're not going to say anything. <laughs> You're not getting so, anything. It's not a brick wall, but certainly it's very bizarre to be covering a campaign. I've been doing this for 20 years in Georgia, yeah. and even the candidates who, who don't like the AJC Still talk with us we still have a rapport with them we still know what they're doing and in this case you know going to herschel walker rallies just hearing the same stump speech and then him leaving without taking any questions and not only that they've recently started putting up barriers so that reporters can't even get within shouting distance of the <laughs> to shout questions at
1: him wow well look that's uh, that's the ricky bobby campaign i guess correct
2: <laughs> he does he does call it that a lot <laughs> uh
1: so you know from from someone looking uh, from the outside in Republicans won every other statewide race in November. What is it that makes this one so different? Is it the Trump effect or, or something altogether different?
2: Yeah, I don't think it's the Trump effect. Um, although Trump did help, you know, did help Herschel Walker, he probably would have run away with the nomination, even without Donald Trump's support, owing to his, huh. his celebrity, his high name recognition, and his legendary status as a football icon. in yeah. Georgia. I think it's two things. One is the unique, uh, you know, quality of his candidacy. Because of all the, um, the the blunders, the history of violent erratic behavior, um, the missteps on the campaign trail, the lies, the exaggerations, all that has hurt him, particularly with independent voters. And then on the other hand, you've got to give it to Senator Warnock, who ran a very distant, different campaign than most Democrats ran. He kept his distance from Joe Biden. Yep. Uh, he talked about bipartisanship. Um, he tried to make himself a safe harbor for those swing voters who he knew were skeptical of Herschel Walker. This was the strategy from the get-go. This wasn't a new turn. This was something he was doing a year ago.
1: Well, Greg, we're coming to find you next week in Atlanta. I can't wait to meet you in person. Greg Bluestein, Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You ready to do this all over again?
0: Are you ready to get this done one more time?
1: One more time.
0: My name has been on the ballot in less than two years for the same doggone job. Georgians are headed to the polls for the second time in a month. They told me I'm in a runoff,
4: but they don't know I was built for this.
0: Yeah, I was built for this one.
1: Let's try it one more once. <laughs> yeah, and with the count, the great count at our backs, we move to Atlanta. We'll be there Monday Tuesday and Wednesday, day before, day of, day after, with special coverage here on the Fastest Hour in Politics. We'll assemble the panel next. Rick Davis is back with us. Jeannie Shanzano, our signature panel, only here on Sound On. We'll check traffic and markets for you on the way, too. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So while Senator Raphael Warnock was with Barack Obama and 2,000 supporters last night, Herschel Walker on Thursday, as I read on the terminal, was canvassing Republican enclaves along Georgia's western border, played to a crowd of about 100 people, most of them white, in a sunny parking lot at the Piggly Wiggly. In Columbus, many had Trump hats. Many also sported the peach stickers, declaring they had already voted in the race. And we assemble our panel with just days to go before we vote again. Rick Davis is back today. Jeannie Shanzano here too. Bloomberg Politics contributors. Rick, you're an expert on campaigns. Describe to us the, the if we can even call it the infrastructure. Of the Herschel Walker campaign, after what we heard there from Greg, there's, they're not even talking to reporters right now. They're not, they're not following the normal path in reaching out to media, providing infrastructure to cover big events, get video out there. They don't care.
3: You know, a lot of it is just the way he ran his general election, right? I mean, it, he was an anathema of reporters. They wanted to ask him hard questions about his relationships with these women who claimed he was helping to p- support their abortions and promoting abortions yeah. with them. And, he, you know, that was if he's going to answer that question over and over and over, just quit taking questions from the press. I mean, I've seen would it be different without the scandals down. or was
1: this just the nature of it to begin with?
3: You know, looks I, arguably the press is going to be biased toward an incumbent democrat you know running for re-election uh and herschel walker hasn't been press friendly so he hasn't developed any relationships along the way hmm. part of the problem with having a first timer is they don't know how to use the press they don't know how to communicate uh, and and i think that really part of what he's done in this uh, uh runoff is he's really dependent upon governor kemp's get out the vote operation to deliver those 200,000 extra voters that, you know, Greg was talking about that Kemp got that, um, that, that Walker didn't and, and, and make up the difference. So Mm. look, it's obvious from the polling that any one of these guys could win. So the question's not going to be whether or not you're actually happy with their stump speech or anything like that. It's going to be who got you to go to the polls and that intensity so far looks like it's been, um, advantage Democrats.
1: Thanks in large part, Jeannie, to Barack Obama. Did that second visit make a difference?
5: Well, I tell you, if I ever run for office, which I never would, as you know, Joe, but if (laughs) I did, I want Barack Obama out there. Nobody gets a crowd going like Barack Obama. He had some great one-liners. And it is important because, as Greg and you were talking about, they got to get the base out. You know, a problem that Democrats across the country had in this midterm is that black voters did not come out in as large numbers as expected. And so they are trying to push those numbers up. Nobody is better equipped to do that than Barack Obama. But as Greg was talking about, they've brought in host of Hollywood celebrities, you know, America Ferreira to the aforementioned Dave Matthews Band, who apparently yeah. attracted a lot of the suburban mothers over to the uh, the event. So you get them out the way you can, and, you know, there are very good signs uh, numbers-wise for Democrats here. You know, you look at the numbers, and the, at least the early voting numbers, Democrats are buoyed by those because we're seeing a lot more people who live in Democratic districts out to vote compared to Republicans. Mm-hmm. But, of course, Republicans vote same day in higher numbers so that well, could flip but it's good early signs for Democrats. you are
1: right that that barack obama had some great one-liners last night i mean it was it was live at the improv once again we saw this uh, during the the general and he was he had even more material this time around just because the campaign keeps going uh, my god we didn't have vampires and werewolves back then but i i guess my question for both of you is when is it too much let me bring you back into the room again last night at the big obama rally here's rafael warnock
0: a senator who will tell you the truth. You deserve a senator who actually lives in Georgia.
1: So we're back to that. We talked about this the other night, the, you know, the whole homestead thing. Does he actually live here or Texas? Here's Barack Obama again with more of his routine.
2: Since the last time I was here, apparently he also claimed that he used to let me beat him at basketball. But then he admitted that we've never actually met. So I guess this was more of
0: an imaginary whooping that I laid on him. Now, listen, this would be funny if he weren't running for Senate.
1: Now, look, I've played a lot of these moments, uh, as you know, on this program, as they've happened. It's been part of the Herschel Walker campaign. But, Rick, at what point does it become too much where you're making fun of the candidate and starts to come back on you and make you look bad?
3: Look, I mean, none of these attacks are actually going to resonate with these independent voters who are looking at the, you know, sort of individual. They've already made some decisions on their authenticity, and, and now it's really going to be like, who's going to best uh, help me uh, establish uh, my community the way I want it, right? Who's mm-hmm. going to be my best representative there? And, and look, the fault line is most of these people are going to v- vote their preference, right? Even the independent voters have preferences on the Republican and Democratic side. And all we saw during the general election was— This is all about who's a Republican showing up and who's a Democrat showing up. And it's really very little to do with who these individuals are who are running in in the contest.
1: Jeannie, do, do they come off as sounding elitist? On I know people are laughing, but what, how does it resonate? How does it echo for a couple of days later?
5: Well, we should all remember we've seen this backfire on on Barack Obama. He is great with the one liners that backfired in the case of Donald Trump, who who huh. you know ran for president who and president won. President yeah, of it. so because of that. But you know, listen, I think what Barack Obama is talking about is this guy doesn't have the character to be senator, and he's made that yeah. case over and over. And the campaign, that's the case they want him to make to get their voters out.
1: Why? It's just incredible. It happens finally on Tuesday, the actual voting. We're told we might find out who won by, say, the next day. We'll talk about it more with Rick and Jeannie coming up on the Fastest Hour in Politics. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. 8.30 this morning. Boy, it was something watching, listening to surveillance here on Bloomberg. I mean, their jaws were on the floor. TK, John Farrow, Bramo and their guests. Nobody could believe this number. So much for the whisper. Stronger than expected. The markets freak out, but that's good news on Main Street. And of course, you know, Joe Biden wanted to talk about it. That's part of his job. Uh, we don't need to deal with Jay Powell and interest rates and a possible recession right now. By God, there are more jobs than we expected. And the president says wages are up too. Here he is.
2: Wages for working families. In fact, over the last couple months have gone up, up, these wage increases are larger than the increase in inflation during that same period of time. And so we're in a position now where we're here. things are moving. They're moving in the right direction.
1: Which sounds great, unless you're Jay Powell or apparently half of Wall Street. That's like cringe material there. Up more than inflation? Well, that could lead to a wage spiral if we're not already in one. And all this stuff sounds really cold and just awful when... You know, people come on the air and say, my God, we have to break the job market to stop inflation. Well, maybe you ought to lose your job first. But then the president leaves the podium, sits down at the mini desk there with Marty Walsh and Brian Deese behind him, and he signs legislation preventing the rail unions from going on strike. No, not you, not now. Even without the sick time. Well, they got one day, I guess, in that thing. And of course, the president, as he said yesterday, he negotiated a deal that nobody else could have, he said. So damned if you do, damned if you don't, as we head into this first weekend of December. With the help of Lincoln Mitchell, I was looking forward to talking to Lincoln at this very moment, political analyst, adjunct associate research scholar at the Institute of War and Peace Studies at Columbia University. I, don't, I can't tell if this is a good day or a bad day, Lincoln. What do you think?
6: For Joe Biden, I think it's on balance an okay day. The jobs report is what's going to drive the news for most Americans watching this. And averting the railroad strike is a good thing for Joe Biden. It may not, I think it's not a great deal for the workers. And it may in the long run continue to build a sentiment that Joe, for younger, particularly for younger Democrats, that Biden is a corporate Democrat and is somebody about whom they can't get enthused. But in the short Mm. run, it's a good day.
1: What keeps, you know, I realize it keeps the economy moving. You, you can really make a very easy argument that he had no choice. He couldn't have the economy shut down going into the end of the year here. That was not an option. But it, it, he just didn't plan for it to go this way, right? Lincoln, he's talking all the time about he wants to be the most union, uh, labor-friendly administration in history. He's up in Boston today at the IBEW Local 103, for crying out loud. That's not the story he wanted to tell.
6: And that's also very much his brand, Right. He's middle-class Joe, the labor guy. He's mm-hmm. also Joe Biden who had, a, before he became you know, vice president, certainly before he became president, was legendary for actually taking Amtrak, right? Yeah. From Washington to his home in Delaware. So, he's, so this is very much against his image. What strikes me here and what puzzles me is that you could understand a situation where the president said, you know, at the end of the day, the money that the labor unions, I'm a pro-labor guy, but this money is too much, right? You could understand that. Mm. But on something like paid sick leave, Right. Which seems for those of us who are fortunate enough to have paid sick leave or to work from home, it just seems so extraordinary that you would say to railroad workers that, you know, if you're sick and you go and you stay home, which we yeah. want sick people to do <laughs> right. in an age when COVID is still out there, you're going to lose a day's work. And for yeah. people who need that money, that's that's a poor decision.
1: Or you're fired, I guess, in some cases. Or you're uh, fired. Is what right. was happening. Now, so, okay, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. Listen to Joe Biden today in that in that same address to the nation as the jobs report came out, he came he had some initial remarks about the rail deal and specifically on paid sick leave. Listen,
2: and look, I know this bill doesn't have paid sick leave, that these rail workers and frankly, every worker in America deserves. But that fight isn't over. I didn't commit we were going to stop just because of, we couldn't get it in this bill that we were going to stop fighting for it.
1: We heard a similar refrain from Marty Walsh this morning. We heard similar comments yesterday from Democrats. Uh, including Chuck Schumer. Lincoln, are we serious, though? How do you come back around on that?
6: We also heard it from Democrats like Nancy Pelosi in the House of Representatives, who is still the speaker. So yeah. it seems to me, I mean, I'm just a, an ivory, ivory tower academic, right? But it seems to me that huh. the Secretary of Labor, the President, the Speaker of the House, and the Senate Majority Leader agree on something, we should be able to get it done. Lame duck. We don't I mean, know if he's a lame duck yet, right? No, I mean, I mean is this, is, can
1: this be done in the lame duck? That's the, unless there's oh, some the sort of executive
6: session. action he's going to take, right? If you, It could be done by executive action. It could be done quickly in the lame duck se- session. Absolutely. And it's the kind of thing where, you know, who's against this? Other than the kind of most Montgomery Burns-ish Labor, uh, the corporate boss, who's really <laughs> going to stand up and say these sick workers need to come in? That's that's what they need to do. And that that's good for America. Oh, no, my God. you got, got Ted Republicans, Cruz
1: and Bernie Sanders fist bumping over this on the Senate floor for crying out loud.
6: Right. Make the Republicans oppose this. Right. Make Joe Manchin yeah. stand alone out there and, and and for once put some muscle on him. But this this was something he could have done and not doing it was a decision.
1: Amazing to me, there isn't more shaming of the railroads in this conversation. If you have both sides of the aisle having this uh, this this argument, uh, Lincoln and agreeing on this when it comes to sick time, how come their names uh, aren't in the headlines? How come we, you know, these these sort of phantom twelve unions? It's amazing to me there hasn't been more of an effort to put them in the public eye.
6: To put the Uh, the the railroads, railroads I should say
1: yes. When you have when you have twelve unions who are also you know not terribly well known,
6: it's it's the railroad companies that that people don't know the first thing about right and i suspect the reason for that and again i just is just a wild guess but i suspect it's because they give a lot of money to politicians and part of what they're buying is you know don't don't expose us like this well that's a pretty grim view if that's the case you, you don't bring me on your, my, your show for my optimism we <laughs> establish that
1: um yeah we'll try to keep it that way uh lincoln thank you for <laughs> chiming in uh, lincoln Mitchell. Uh, at the Institute of War and Peace Studies at Columbia University. We'll see what the panel thinks about this uh, coming up here, because, you know, it's, it's interesting. As we go into next year, the chances of a recession, we're told, are great. Bloomberg Economics will tell you the chances are 100%. And we've got a job market here that's confounding the Fed and, and prompting them to raise interest rates continuously until we are into a recession. So it does make you sort of wonder sometimes what side of the coin the messaging needs to be on at the White House and what they should be preparing the American people for. We'll pick it up with the panel coming up next. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us in our final moments here on the fastest hour in politics at the threshold of the weekend. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Glad you came along. We'll check in on the markets and get an update on traffic for you as we all try to get home here. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.
0: OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So does Joe Biden make a Hail Mary in the lame duck on paid sick leave? You already promised an assault weapons ban would be reinstated, at least at some point, not necessarily this month. But the window could be closing for this as well. We reassemble the panel here. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us as we pile into the weekend. And Jeannie, I, I don't know your thoughts on this, but the list just seems to keep getting longer here. And the president last couple of days as he signs this, uh, this rail uh, workers bill, prevents the strike. That's a good thing, but he's taken a lot of flack, particularly from the left uh, wing of his party, the progressive wing of his party, when it comes to paid sick leave, that was supposed to be in Bill Back Better, right? Are we going to try to get this back again now?
5: You know, I think he can try to push for it. I doubt it happens. They have so much on their plate already in the lame duck. And, you know, I know he's getting a lot of criticism, but he also should get a lot of positive thoughts. Imagine our conversation today if we were headed towards a railroad strike and he can take credit for helping to avert that. Yes, they do deserve the paid sick leave. That's clear. And most people agree on that. But mm. Joe Biden had to take the tough action of averting this strike. Well, and is they that did. because
1: because he called Congress? I mean, Congress would say, no, we did Actually, he couldn't do it without us, Rick Davis.
3: Yeah, I mean, he failed in his efforts, you know, with his cabinet members to try and get a deal with the uh, with the unions in the in the railroads, <clears throat> and he had to leave it up to the to the Congress. He couldn't get it done. And the reality is, uh, the unions might have been better off with a negotiated settlement with the unions or with the railroads. So, who knows? Uh, they only fell eight votes short in the Senate to get sixty votes that you need for the uh, the paid leave, and so. Uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me that there's not another attempt to try and fix that because it really is pretty egregious. And there, and and as you said in the last segment, you know, nobody's talking about Norfolk Southern, CSX, Union Pacific, right. and BNSF—four unions or four railroads that control 85 percent of all the rail uh, activity in the country—and they're the ones who are saying, "No, we're not going to pay you."
1: Yeah. So what is that, Jeannie? How come Bernie Sanders and I know he's said more about this than most? And other progressive Democrats aren't up there with the the big easels on the Senate floor, the logos of these companies, the phone numbers to leave a message for their CEOs.
5: Well, you know, we may see some of that. They haven't been doing it enough. We have heard Joe Biden do this in other sectors. We may hear him do this. But the reality is he is the president of the United States. He needed to make sure he did bring them to the table. They couldn't get it past those four of the 12 unions. So he did have to turn to Congress, but rightly so. And he deserves credit for doing that. And so does his team. Because imagine if they didn't turn to Congress where we would be right now. I think it was a pretty good week for Joe Biden. Biden, all said and done.
1: It's it's just kind of ironic, I guess, Rick, that he ends up at the IBEW 103 doing a call panel uh, for Raphael Warnock tonight up in Boston, where he's holding another fundraiser later uh, that, you know, most normal people can't get into. Uh, But, you know, what was the mood, you wonder, when he walked in that room today after telling more than 100 rail workers they're not allowed to strike?
3: Yeah. I mean, irony is the partner of politics. I mean, it happens all the time. And uh, this is pretty ironic that uh, he would have just gone through this process and then said, OK, but we need you this time around again. Right. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but look, I mean, the options aren't great. Right. I mean, do you really want to have uh, Herschel Walker, you know, represent your union interests? I mean, look, I mean, any time option ha- in either case, you're right. Exactly. So um, uh, it'll be interesting to see how all this resolves itself. But look, the good news is and Jeannie's right. We don't have a rail strike going into the holidays uh, that would affect the economy, our ability to get goods and services delivered, yeah. and, and that's a good thing all around.
1: Well, it's just about, uh, what, an hour and a half uh, up the road from the IBEW there in Dorchester at a place we like to call Manch Vegas that is in our hearts today as we consider a world of which it is not the first in the nation primary state. That, of course, would be New Hampshire, but we all pile into Manch, Vegas to cover it, Manchester, New Hampshire, where the candidates are, the pundits, the press. It's almost a, a festival that happens there every four years. It's one I know both of you have spent a lot of time at. I've been lucky to do a few primaries. And uh, President Biden says that day is over. It's too small. It's too white. And it's uh, it's not going to be first in line anymore. He's he's gone to the, uh, the Democratic National Committee with a new calendar that would put South Carolina up first and then that would be followed by some... Iowa's nowhere to be seen in this, by the way, and he doesn't even like the idea of a caucus. Uh, Rick, you know these states really well. You've run presidential campaigns in them. How does this change... First of all, does that really happen? I mean... New Hampshire has like a state constitution that says no matter when the first primary is, we will go before it. We will
3: always be first. How does he change this? I'm, I'm thinking Christmas in Manchester. That's it, right? <laughs> yeah, we had New Year's Eve in Manchester in 2008 because yes, they kept sir. moving up. Um, look, I mean, as you say, it's... Uh, uh, it's a it's a constitutional right to be first in, in New Hampshire. Nobody else has that. I have to give my bias to New Hampshire. I love New Hampshire. They love John McCain. And, I, and they love John McCain and, and and a lot of other campaigns have survived uh, that I've worked on because of those very well-informed voters of New Hampshire. Um, that being said, this is what, quite a trick, right? One, uh, normally these kinds of things are vetted out in you know the, the 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 DNC's committees they they have a study they appoint smart people to analyze it yeah and none of that happened here it was here's what the president wants and this yeah. is what the president because those get.
1: are the states that he won right that those are the states that made his campaign real
3: yeah look I'm Arguably, you can think, well, he's running again and he's just going to cook the books, right? He's just going to have a primary that is only the states, you know, that uh, he does well in. And, 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 and what's interesting is there's very little of that reporting. I mean, the poor New Hampshireites are getting thrown under the bus. This is a power grab by a sitting president to basically dictate the rules of the uh, game uh, to his own party, and, and like hardly anybody's pushing back. I'm, I'm stunned by it, frankly. I can't imagine if this were Trump rearranging mm. the primary schedule for 2020, uh, or even right now, I mean, people would be going crazy. But they don't have to accept this, right,
1: Jeannie? Is there a world in which they're, they're doing, it's like the rules committee today and tomorrow, and then the, the whole, the full DNC votes on this. What if they just say no?
5: You know, it's unlikely. It is good to be the head of the party. He yeah, is okay. the head of the party. He is taking his revenge clearly on Iowa that killed him in 88, <laughs> 08, and 20. He doesn't want to do it. And let's not forget, you know, we were out in Iowa. And, you know, in what? how many days? It took 24 days for them to count the vote last yeah. time around. Yep. Um, you know, they, they even they have to admit it was a disaster out there for that caucus. Well, why you
1: have to take it out of New Hampshire for crying
5: out loud? <laughs> well, you know, listen, he wants to get to South Carolina and do some payback but the reality is let's not forget iowa and new hampshire are not diverse states they are not racially ethnically diverse they are not economically diverse and that is the point the president is making to democrats Also, let's also forget, Iowa and New Hampshire have pushed the Democratic Party towards the progressive wing. They want to move it back to the center, more to the establishment ground. And I think both parties would be well served by doing that. You know, who knows if Republicans follow suit, but that is an important point they are not making publicly, but should be made privately. And it is a real concern because you nominate a far left candidate, you lose the general election and they Mm. don't want to lose.
1: It's a really interesting uh, consideration here. Rick, what if, could we be in a world, by the way, the Republicans already signed off on their calendar? Does that mean we're in a world in which we, we're going to Manchester twice? There's two different primary
3: days? Yeah, I don't even know how you reconcile that. Uh, and you're right. Republicans are going to go to Manchester. They're probably going to go to Iowa, although I do side with Jeannie <laughs> on the fact that Iowa is too screwed up. Maybe to just to. stop the Iowa thing. Uh, but the bottom line is that this could be the first cycle where you have a distinctly different schedule between wow. the Democrats and Republicans. Who's got money or covering time for that? Stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's going to really uh, confuse voters, I think, when they're, you know, They're voting in two different places in the same week. uh, Republicans in one location and Democrats in another.
1: It's not lost on me, Jeannie, that that the president indicated you don't have to worry about this is just for 2024. You can you can do whatever you want after that. I mean, is is this not self-serving?
5: Yeah, you know, listen, Joe, he might be on the ballot in 24. That's his concern. <laughs> what happens after that? That's he'll leave right. it to the younger generations. And let not forget, the like, interesting move with Georgia and Michigan there as well. Um, you know, some people have been talking about the fact that Michigan, because they don't have party registration, you mm. could have Republicans going and monkeying around with the Democrats oh there. God. I mean, it could be a big old mess. I'm for it. I love it. But it could be a real, you know, a, a, a real interesting season if this happens. And also in New Hampshire, Governor Sunu, <laughs> know, it's going to be curious to hear what yeah. he does, because he's going to have the Democrats and Republicans in his state behind him fighting for New Hampshire's first in the nation.
1: Well, that's you know, a great point. He already pushed back on this along with Senator Hassan. I mean, Rick, you know, this is a this is part of local industry, right? This is part of the New Hampshire economy.
3: Oh yeah. Senator Shaheen, Senator Hassan, uh, the Democrats have railed against it. Uh, They sounded just like Governor Sununu. Absolutely. Um, And uh, they got their talking points right. And it it is a right to life here. I mean, like this is what New Hampshire is all about. And there are really important aspects of New Hampshire campaigns. I mean, uh, Jeannie talked about some of the uh, you know problems with it but like it is yeah. one of the very few places where voters can actually get to know candidates they're required to have retail politics there's not a media market other than Boston that's big enough to make a big impact and so candidates have to go there sit in the diners and talk to voters we hardly ever see that anymore yeah. just big rallies and nobody goes to a big rally well one way, way or the other
1: whether it's first or second the three of us are going to get a booth at the Red Arrow Diner that's before we go to of the Puritan, of course, in Manch Vegas. Won't that be fun? Jeannie Shanzana, Rick Davis, great talk, as always. We're not going to New Hampshire this weekend, though. No, sir, we're going to Georgia with special coverage ahead. starts on Monday, the runoff between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. I'm Joe Matthew, and this is Bloomberg.